quarter cup at a time. A thin stream. It's supposed uh -huh. to be a thin stream. Blend it really uh -huh. well. Or you'll burn... David, that's not right. Okay, well, that's because I'm ladling and stirring at the same time and you're just standing there. Now is not the time to lose focus, darling. This was your idea. You're the one who allegedly made the enchiladas. Yes, so try to keep up. Okay, next. Now's the time to sprinkle in the chili pepper flakes. We've already done that. What number are we on? Is this not your mother's recipe? Yes, and now I'm passing it on to you. So try to keep up. Um, oh, next step is to fold in the cheese. What does that mean? What does fold in the cheese mean? He folds it in. I, I understand that, but how, how do you fold it? Do you fold it in half like a piece of paper and drop it in the pot, or what do you do? David, I cannot show you everything. Okay, well, can you show me one thing? You just, here's what you do. Uh -huh. You just fold it in. Okay, I don't know how to fold broken cheese like that. And I don't know how to be any clearer. You take that thing that's in your hand, uh -huh. and you. If you say fold in one more time. It says fold it in. This is your recipe. You fold in the cheese then. Don't you dare. You fold it in. David! Oh, good. Now I see bubbles. David! What is burning smell? <laughs> if any of you have seen that show, it's one of my favorite co comedies. It's a Canadian comedy. And David and Moira, who you saw there, are two of my favorite people. They're part of this family that's extremely dysfunctional. Um, they were this wealthy family who had some unfortunate circumstances happen, and they end up in this place where they have nothing. And so they're learning how to do things they haven't had to do in a long time. Moira is trying to cook her mother's enchilada recipe for the first time in probably years. David, who had chefs when he was growing up, probably hasn't cooked a day in his life. And they're experiencing this teachable moment together. We see oftentimes, even in our own lives, teachable moments come and go. Oftentimes, teachers um, aren't even people we expect them to be. Um, but this moment we see here is really just a recipe for disaster. We're going to see something similar in our Bible reading today, but I want to ask you, can you remember any of your own teachable moments? Did it go well? Or did it look more like David <clears throat> excuse me, and Moira there? Have you ever had to fold in the cheese, or do you even know what folding in the cheese is? These teachable moments are sometimes uncomfortable. They tug at our pride when we don't know what's going on or when it's difficult to learn. But we still fail sometimes, even when we try our best to be teachable. We see oftentimes in our own lives these this teachable moments. And for me, one that I remember particularly is uh, when, one with my dad. My dad um, lives in Adel. I grew up in Adel, Iowa, so if any of you are from the Adel, Iowa area, you know what Adel is like. It's small. And so I wanted to ride my bike to school because, like many of you probably here, riding the bus just stinks. It's not fun. And so my dad accepted the challenge, and we go ahead and we try to learn how to ride my bike. At least he tries to teach me. What he really learned was patience, and I really just learned how to fall. I could not get it. It was the most frustrating thing. And I'm thinking to myself, my teacher has failed me. But no, he hasn't. Uh, the next week when I had gotten off the bus, I was still frustrated that I hadn't been able to ride my bike so that I didn't have to ride the smelly bus. And so I stepped off the bus right in front of my house, and all of a sudden this person flies by me. And I looked, and it was my neighbor. 
My neighbor, his name is Tate, he was in the same grade as me. He's also the person that I competed with my entire life. He flew by on his bike, no training wheels, feet in the air, tongue out, and yelled at me, ha ha, sucker, and he left. That was it, that was all it took. I marched up to my house. My dad had just gotten home from work. He's the type of dad that didn't drive me to school because he thought the bus was a place of endurance, so he wanted me to learn. So he's already there at home, and I march up to him, I grab my bike, and I immediately take off. That was all it took, was some motivation, some, some call to change, a challenge. And I was off and riding my bike in front of Tate's house to show him that I also could do it, that I was teachable, that I was capable. But are you teachable? That's what we're going to dive into today, and we're going to look at different leaders to see if they are teachable. What does teachable mean? It means this willingness to learn, this willingness to change. And in our Bible reading today, we see God's chosen people, the Israelites, had many teachable moments. Over 450 years, as they followed God, we quickly see God's people struggling to learn and change. And so we read this here on the screen behind us, that God of this nation, Israel, chose our ancestors, and they made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, God led them out of their slavery. He put up with them for 40 years in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years favorite part of that passage, I even put it in bold, was that God put up with God's people. It just shows how far God is willing to commit to God's people. How willing he's willing to stick it in there with them, even when they seem utterly unteachable. And so this God of the universe is putting up with God's people because God loves them, because God is committed to them. Is there someone in your life that you put up with? Maybe they're sitting next to you, and if they are, you can go ahead and nudge them. Is there anyone that puts up with you? I know I have a handful of people that I could name off the top of my head, but God has proven time and time again that God's commitment to God's people is solid, and he delivers on his promises. Now, as the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, they saw God's promises come to life. They went on this mission to find this promised land. God even made a covenant with them and said, "You you will be my people and I will be your God. And so he led them to this place and gave this incredible inheritance. But that wasn't enough for God's people. God wanted them to obey his commands. God gives us commands and gives God's people commands, not because God needs it, but because God's people are constantly failing to be teachable. They fall into sin, they hurt themselves, they hurt others. And these commandments are supposed to bring them back to a place of healing and renewal, a place of wholeness. So we see that God didn't need these commands, but God's people did. And so during this Lent season, we are diving into this sermon series called 40 Days of Renewal. The number 40 literally means change or transition. And so we see during Lent, as we're leading up to Easter, how God is trying to change our hearts and our minds to be more focused on Christ, about this Easter event that is coming up. But oftentimes, we kind of reorder our priorities, and God isn't always 
first. We see that in the Israelites' story. At this point in time in their history, the Israelites don't have a king. They have judges who point out to them when, when maybe they're not doing what God had commanded them. They failed the task of obeying God and the judge's role was to point that out. It was a period of confusion and Israelites really truly needed God's leadership, but they weren't very teachable. And so they said, God, it must be your fault. You're the problem here. You're not a very good teacher. We want a human king. We see this in our next slide here. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. Can you see a change coming? What I love about this story is that even though God's people have rejected God, God doesn't reject or leave them. In fact, God actually fulfills their desires. But God speaks through this prophet Samuel and says, okay, if you want this, I'm gonna give it to you. You're gonna have to face the consequences. So God's people don't wanna listen. Teachability went straight out the window and they get their human king. Now one thing we really need to focus on when it comes to biblical leadership is more oftentimes than not, it's bad leadership. There are more bad leaders in the Bible stories that we read than good. And so today we're gonna to look at two characters, Saul and David. We talked a little bit about David last week, but we see from their comparison that good leadership oftentimes exposes bad leadership. And so we pick up in this story where we can learn a lot from these two leaders. But one thing we know right away is that God picks God's leaders. And that's our first leadership lesson today as we're diving into what does it mean to be a leader? Leaders are called to serve a holy God. In 1 Samuel 10, we see that Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Anointing in the Old Testament was a divine appointment and meant that God was appointing this person for a specific purpose or a specific role. Oil oftentimes means sacrifice or healing as well. But this moment was Saul's inauguration as Israel's king. Can you imagine going from your day job to president of the United States? That's what this is. Saul was this unexpected leader. It's a big jump. Saul was a donkey herder. He took care of his father's donkeys and now he's a king? To make things even more intense and more of a burden on Saul's shoulders, Samuel the prophet tells him, basically, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know what that means, but that's what this is. Not the same words, but similar. Samuel tells Saul here, and I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hope. That's a lot of pressure as a leader to be the hope for God's people. It's almost like it's one that just seems impossible. But God calls God's leaders, God anoints them, and you are no different. God has anointed you 
for a specific purpose to lead. Did you know you were baptized and anointed with oil? Is it something you think about? Do you accept it as your calling and as your place? You have been anointed. You have been chosen. You have a purpose. And God promises to not leave you hanging. Saul is called to lead, but I want to ask you, where are you called? Have you sensed any kind of nagging feeling that you're supposed to um, do a specific job? Maybe it's outreach, maybe it's your role that you're in right now. Have you ever told God or been led by God and decided that you just didn't, you weren't up for the job, you didn't want to do it? You're not the right person, you're not in the right place in your life to accept God's call? You are anointed. I personally have told God no to this calling more times than I can count. I have wanted and known that I wanted to be a pastor and felt called to be a pastor. Want, I use lightly. <laughs> God has called me to this position, this role. For 12 years, I said no. For 12 years, I said, I'm not the person for the job. I'm too young. I don't have the experience. I didn't grow up in a really strong, faithful household that prioritized reading the Bible. I'm going to be way behind. I made excuses. I let imposter syndrome take over my life to the point where the role I was doing, it didn't fulfill my soul. When I say role, I'm not just talking about your job. I'm talking about your role as a parent, as a child, as a spouse, as a friend. Any role you play in this world, you are being led by God in that role. Now, are your role and your soul two different things? Divided? I've done that. I've lived that. A divided soul lives to a divided life. It can cause a lot of hurt when you're not doing what you feel God has called you to do and to live out. I'm not saying you have to go and be a pastor. It's a decision that I don't, wouldn't recommend anyone take lightly. But I encourage you to discern, to find people, to see maybe where is God calling you. Go to prayer. You are anointed and we cannot forget that we have been called by God for a purpose. What are you waiting for? Did you know that because you are anointed, you are also a priest? We read this in our next verse here, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. That is your role in your soul combined. This place where the life is no longer divided but united, a place where God claims us as God's own people. In the same way this king, that King Saul is anointed, we too are anointed because we are God's people. God will never reject us. And even when we say no, God is persistent. Just look at Saul. When Samuel tells him that he is to be king, he can't even believe it. He says, I am from the smallest tribe, the least important of all the families. But God had a different plan for him, a different story. God anointed him. Every single purpose, every single person has been created on purpose for a purpose. And that includes being leaders. Not in the way we might expect, which we'll learn a little bit later, 
But if you are thinking and you are at a place, oh, I'm not a leader, you are. And if you struggle with the word leader, I want you to think about something else, influence. Every single person has influence on someone or in some way in their life. As human beings, we are practically bumper cars, just ramming in each to each other on a daily basis. We have impact. We have influence, and everyone in this room leads and follows every single day. Just by breathing, you are following. Just by taking a step, you are leading. But Christian leadership isn't about personality or qualification. Even the donkey herder qualified, and he probably preferred animals over people. It's easy to minimize your call to being a leader by saying you don't have influence in the world. That is so much less than what God created you to be and what God intended for you. You are an influencer. And I'm not talking about the Instagram kind of influencers. I'm talking about a biblical influencer. A Christian leader, let's go even deeper. Leadership isn't about collecting or having followers or building a brand. No, it's, it's more. It's about following. In order to be a leader, we must first be followers. And so we see that in this first scene of Saul, he follows God. Saul is walking behind a team of ox and he's plowing a field. It's not typical kingly behavior that we would expect. And when he returns to town, it's chaos. And he's asking people, what's the matter? What is going on? This enemy king, Nahash, had come and invaded two towns, Gad and Reuben. And the townspeople pleaded for this king, this evil king, to stop. We'll do anything. We'll serve you. But then the king agreed, okay, you can serve me, but you must also pay. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as you are a disgrace to all of Israel. This evil king is calling God's people a disgrace. And immediately we see Samuel. Samuel is moved by God's spirit. The spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he became very angry. I know that all of you have maybe experienced this righteous anger at some point when something isn't right, when something isn't just. And God's spirit moves us to action, to fight for those who maybe aren't given a voice, to lead by listening to people's stories. God's spirit moves and Saul listens. There's this divine influence, God's spirit, but it's the same spirit that moves Saul, also moves every single one of us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit calls, comes upon you. We read in Acts chapter one, verses eight. This is how biblically based Christ-centered leadership goes. It's led by God's spirit. We become followers. Spiritual leaders need to be humble followers. Even though God appointed Saul as a king and as a leader, the kingdom belongs to God. Saul is a trustee of God's possession, not the owner. Saul is called to a purpose to care and steward what God has given him. But Saul makes a mistake here. His leadership, his, 
his position, his role quickly becomes ownership. He begins to take more and more power as he continues to be a bigger leader. But pride is this mistake that brings the story of Saul to a tragic end. Samuel, in this story, comes to Saul. We see Samuel call Saul out on his pride and his disobedience. He did the one thing that the leader is supposed to do, and that's just to follow God. And then we see Samuel's response here, or we see Saul's response here, excuse me. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insists. I carried out the mission God gave me. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord your God. There's a couple things we notice. As we see, Samuel starts to get fear, fear of rejection. He knows he's in trouble. We see Saul immediately try to talk his way out of it. Have, have you done that? I know I have. Just try to talk our way out of when we just haven't done things right, when we've messed things up, when people are hurt. But look at my reputation, Saul says. That's all he has left to give. Look at what I've done. I did obey. I carried out the mission of God. But then we see his true heart here. These are my troops, not God's troops. Saul has now claimed God's possession as his own. We oftentimes see humility as a step backwards when it comes to leadership in the world. But humility is a step inward. When we recognize our faults and we're able to see the hurt we have caused and confess and repent, that's when this renewal and change can come into play. But God decides to give his people a new leader, one who is humble. We read in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, that Saul is removed. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the commandment of the Lord. He will do everything I want him to do. This is King David. We see that leadership is also not about personality or qualification, but a willingness to follow God. And God thinks David is the guy for the job. Last week we learned that David is this kid who goes against this army and slays Goliath. He's a king of courage, he's a king of humility. And at first it looks like David understands that he is obedient. He's the right man from the job. We learn that David has even more success. Humility leads to success? Is that what the world tells us? He has favor in battle. He has favor of God's people. David is a better king than Saul ever could be. But we see that just like Saul got caught up in his achievements, David makes a mistake and his reputation crumbles. He falls into sin. He makes mistakes. This idea of reputation, is that your identity? What is your reputation and how long did it take you to build it? Is your reputation being a good parent, a successful child, well-traveled or experienced? Maybe you're someone who gets all invited to all the social events, or maybe you're just the right person for the job. We can take all of those things and just put it into a bag 
that is our reputation, our identity, our accolades. Maybe it's the role we play, the people we know. We put in a bag and it becomes who we are. What's in your bag? What's your reputation? When people ask you, who are you? How many of these things do you have to pull out to show them who you are? We make our reputation our identity. There's a pastor named Henry Nguyen who is a Dutch pastor and he takes this idea of reputation and relevance and turns it on its head. He says, I'm deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or own vulnerable self. What happens when we take all these things that are our reputation, there's nothing left, we dump it out. And you're left with just an empty bag, your vulnerable self, what's left? That's what God is teaching us about leadership, about being vulnerable. It means we have to let these things go. Our reputation cannot be our identity. One of my favorite stories about vulnerability, about the process of dumping all of these things out, comes from a children's story. We can learn so much from children's stories. This is one of my favorite. Now this is Princess Elizabeth, and she is soon to marry her prince, her Prince Charming, um, but her castle is attacked by this dragon. And Prince Elizabeth is left with nothing. Absolutely nothing left, not even her clothes. So she takes a paper bag, she puts it over herself. And she soon realizes that her Prince Charming was taken by this dragon. And so she decides she's gonna go rescue her prince. She gets to the dragon's cave, knocks on the door boldly, and says, I wanna talk. Instead of fighting the dragon, she kind of <laughs> keys into his ego. She says, you know, dragon, oh, you're so powerful, you're so big, show me what you can do. Show me all the things that you are. And so he flies around the world in five minutes. He can scorch a whole forest. He does this again and again until he has nothing left to give and he falls asleep. Now that princess goes up to the top of the castle to rescue her prince and in her most vulnerable moment, it backfires. The prince had no idea what she had gone through, what she had sacrificed to save him. And in that moment, he rejects her. He tells her that she's not enough. He tells her that, look at you, you're just in a paper bag, you're dirty. Go put on your royal clothes, you're a princess, start acting like it. Sound kind of familiar? Isn't that Christ, who comes to us as a servant, dressed in a paper bag to save us? And we say, who are you? You're not royalty, why should I follow you? Jesus teaches us that there's a different way to leadership and he leads by example. We read in Matthew 20, but among you it will be different. Forever, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes to us in his torn clothes with all he has left. No gold crown, but a crown of thorns. 
and we look at him and reject him, he still says, you're worth it. I'll take this paper bag. I'll take this place so that you can be priests. You can be leaders in the world. I will be the servant of all servants so that you can be priests, you can be royalty. I've called you to serve. We read in this, this next verse here, the lengths that he went. Though he was God, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human. Then he appeared, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. When we don't have the strength to follow God, when we don't trust God, God became human to show us we can trust him. We can put our trust in him. We can put our hope not in these earthly kings and rulers, but in God himself. God put on this paper bag so that we could be clothed in robes. And what does this royalty mean? What does it mean now to be in a position of prince and princesses and the elite, the kingdom, be a part of this kingdom of God? It means this on our next slide. That we get to love God with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all our strength, and we get to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is more important than the burnt offerings and sacrifices. There's nothing that we could sacrifice, our reputation, our relevance to God that would make us adequate followers, adequate leaders. So Christ made that offering, Christ made that sacrifice so that we could be leaders of humility, of love, leaders who are willing to follow God. Even when the call is scary and even when we don't believe in ourselves, God's spirit moves within us so that we can do exactly that, to love our neighbor and to serve one another. And that is what Christ-centered leadership is all about. Let's go ahead and stand and worship.